Rest, recover, rise with 4-5 CBD oil. The world's first certified 0% THC CBD oil. 4-5 CBD oil. For athletes, by athletes. It's not the Kaya could take it to the court for arbitration for sport. Monday, it was Ronnie's. Monday, come and check this out. You won't believe Tom McHale. You won't believe what he's left us. Oh, that's like Derek Donauer. Got through the bottom of my I was so happy about just to be alive and looked up and just after that, I saw the unmistakable um, derriere of uh, Lane Beachley. Welcome to It's Not The Length Podcast, Hawaii Special. Great to meet you, Paul. Al- Aloha, Ben. Aloha, bra. I'm a meli kalikimaka soon. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm good too, thanks. Thanks for asking. That means Merry Christmas in Hawaiian, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that, yeah. Uh, how's it all going? Pipe Masters went down last night. We got a world champ, a new one. Are you excited? Yes, I am. Like a uh, good old-fashioned pipe shootout. Italo is the people's champion. Everyone likes Italo. He's fun. He's friendly. He's a showman. And we had the sort of Darth Vader sort of character of um, Gabe Medina all up to his usual tricks. But um, yeah, I'm pretty happy. A bit of fresher, fresher breath there. There's quite a few talking points from yesterday. Um, the main one, Medina and Kayo. What happened? Well, basically, in the round of 16 heat, at the very last moment, um, Abeli has priority, and as he takes off, so does Gabriel Medina. Uh, at first, most people, including the commentators, everyone else thought he's just had an absolute brain fart. And then he's, uh, you know, a la Tom Carroll against Todd Holland back in the day, and he's interfered um, unnecessarily. So first of all, the commentators kind of thought or, or pretended that they thought it was an accident. I was quite surprised with Billy Kemper thought it was like the smartest piece of tactical genius he'd ever seen. Billy Kemper was like blown away and just going, oh, he's the, he's the best, he's the smartest competitor there's ever been. It's like, really? Like, that wasn't, that didn't seem like that intricate a kind of a manoeuvre. Imagine if Kemper watched snooker. Imagine if he went to the Crucible and saw, like, saw sort of some golden age snooker and have his mind blown. Well, it's basic maths, isn't it? Imagine if they're playing darts. You've got to get a one six nine uh, three dart throw out. You know, you've got to do treble 19s and such. Yeah, it was, he, he, you know, he worked out the scores. But that, that was sort of interesting enough. I mean, it was like, if that was it, then I was like, okay, Medina's a bit of a... Uh, it's a low act. Um, I don't like it, but it's within the rules. You know, it's a bit like it's a bit like in um, say football where you kick the ball out uh, when someone's injured, and if the opponent were to instead instead of giving the ball back as you should, as in the sort of gentleman's rules, you uh, actually go go and get a goal. It's a bit like I, th- I thought it was just a bit off, but whatever. It's still within the rules, I thought, so fair enough. But then, Paul, and it wasn't just me, because the uh, internet blew up, basically, on the online forums. Because the WSL were just saying, when they, they put it up just after the, um, sort of, heat, they did a little Instagram, went, that, you know, the current number two uses cunning heat strategy in, in the hunt to capture a potential world title. So they were like, yeah, it's cool, it's great effort. But in the um, rule book, Paul, if, if you may permit me to read it out, uh, Article 
It says, if the discipline director or head of tools and competition determined that an inf- interference during an event was an intentional, unsportsmanlike, or of a serious nature, then that surf will lose the benefit of getting their best event result when calculating their ranking on the tour. Or they could also, uh, if the heat in question can also be resurfed if determined by the head judge, the result was affected by the surface conduct. Now, Paul, I think Gabriel Medina's uh, effort was A, intentional, it was B, unsportsmanlike, and then C, it was of a serious nature. So by their own rule book, um, he should have lost his either had the, the, the heat resurfed, that's one thing they could have done, or B, like more critically, they could have just taken away his best result. And also, Paul, as a final thing, if they'd done that, then he would also have lost his Olympic spot. Why did he right off from Kauai? Give the guy about six good shots to the head. The guy backhanded him with a half-gallon fucking bottle of vodka. And then all the boys came outside, and the guys would jump in the car. They'd try to run us over, so I threw this fucking big tree log. They went around the block, and we all were standing in the bushes over there with big rocks in our hand. And when the guy came down the road, it was like a gauntlet. Kyle could take it to the court for arbitration for sport. I think the error, the punishment is, is wrong. You shouldn't forfeit your best result for doing one thing. You should just lose that heat. You should just lose both your scores in that heat. So his result would have been the round before. And Kaio goes through. I don't. I think taking away your best, like if you won an event, they take that away because you dropped in on someone on purpose. That's ridiculous. However, if they don't enforce it anyway, it's all elementary. But yeah, exciting times. I quite thought I quite, you know, I thought it was quite a good move. I don't think it's quite like in football when someone kick because you kick the ball out so the opposition can get treatment in case they're injured. That's like honor amongst professionals. Kaio didn't like. There's no sort of equivalent. He just burnt him. I thought I kind of quite liked it in a way, but I think the rule does need addressing that. And then, of course, they got the obvious problem of how do you work it out if it's intentional or not? Well, it's very hard to prove intent, but he admitted it in the, in the interview <laughs> with Rosie, which I thought Rosie had her best day ever on ground yesterday. We're going to talk about the webcast. I thought she was really good. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, And also, I think Charlie was yelling on the beach, burn him, burn him. That Also, why would they talk? Was that in English? Yeah. Why? Because I couldn't quite, I couldn't hear that. I couldn't hear what he said. I was what. I was watching Charlie just going, that is, why is he standing there just frowning and scowling? That's not helping. But actually, he was, he gave him, and then the thumbs up came. Why would he shout burn him in English? I don't know. Who knows how that man thinks? Well, no, it's obviously wasn't for, you know, it's for the benefit of he knew there'd be a camera. Are we giving him too much credit for knowing what, the sort of supposing things? I don't know. But very weird, quite entertaining. I think it sort of needed it yesterday because... The ways are a bit sort of four, four to six footy, weren't they? Which is sometimes it sort of sort of sums up how kind of nearly good surf contest can be when it's a bit like that pipe. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Good, good day, and well done, Italo. Do you think there's going to be comeback for Magine or Kaya? What's going to happen to Kaya's Instagram? Well, he just he. Because he'd been through that shit with the last interference, when when effectively Gabe did lose the um, the world title because of his own mistake, and it was just he got absolutely tailed up, and despite no uh, you know being the <laughs> being in the right, the you know actually being in the right uh, as he was in this case, I think he's just like look, I'm just going to leave this. He qualified. Um, he doesn't need the, the general social media shitstorm that was coming his way if he actually pushed it. But yeah, he, he was in well within his rights to go up. Check the rule because I want to resurf. Like, 
but he just knew that it just wouldn't be worth wouldn't be worth the pain. So fair play to him. He just um he, he just died on his Brazilian sword. Mm, um, a few things, other things about the broadcast notes yesterday. That there's quite a lot of talk about priority, obviously, which you know, obviously. It's, Right up your Strasse Monday. The book, the book's still coming out. You're rewriting the, the forward, I think. Um, again, another rewrite. It's the ninth edit. Um, there's a lot of talk from the commentators about if someone paddled for a wave and then, oh, that was a mistake. If they, I don't really think it is. Like, if a set comes and you've got priority, you need a score. I'm thinking a Kaya. He paddled for one wave. He had to sort of paddle to get himself in position for it. So he, he paddled for the wave. But then when he was in position, he could see that he wasn't going to make it. So then he didn't go. He made like two correct decisions. Like he made the correct decision to power for the way because he, he needed a score and he had priority. And then he made the correct decision not to go over the falls and either, well, worst case scenario, die. Best case scenario, spend a minute paddling back out again. Yeah. So, and then they go, oh, that was that was a mistake. Oh, he's made an error there. He's like, hasn't really made an error. It's just the wave was a closeout. Yeah. Well, I think in those circumstances, I was thinking this too. How like it's all about mistakes and each strategy. But yeah, like. It was so difficult. Just any normal free surf, you go out and you try and get as many waves as you can. You just always, you get the ocean catches you out. Yeah, exactly. Just because you're out of wave and it doesn't work out doesn't mean you're making some massive yeah. mistake. Like you've gone for the diamond midfield instead of the three, four, two, one, or some real tactical intricacy. Like wave came, I just swung my arms. So if we can just summarise that, we're saying surf contests are completely random and Medina's a. Broadcast, Ben. Broadcast. I, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. Some weird stuff happened. I thought there's some one of the weirdest crosses of all time. Um, did you see the one with Strider was just sort of standing on the roof of like the next bit of kind of contest structure to to the boys with the heads. Yeah. He was he was up there quite a bit. <laughs> the heads. The like, Let's go down here from Strider after I think Kelly went for a wave and it closed. Huh? And they're like. Strider's sort of insight, Strider's searing insight was, yeah, I yeah I saw that, and then I looked at like Travis Lee from Channel Islands, and then he looked at me, back to you guys in the booth. <laughs> I was like, sorry, we just went, we just threw to someone to see if he saw it too. Like, really weird. Um, that was a, quite a weird cross. I thought Mel was was really good in the channel. I loved Mel in the channel. Thought his updates are really good. I think Strider in the channel. Uh, while he's sort of improved his command of the English language a bit, he sometimes seems a little bit insincere. I just sometimes think like he's not quite like convincing. I mean, there's there's sort of nothing wrong with being insincere. I mean, I've like to think I've got some kind of experience in it, but it works well in particularly in broadcasting if you let them know that you know that they know. You see what I mean? So you the audience is kind of in on it with you that you're either hamming it up or, you know, just, just, he, he kind of, I don't know. I just, I think he thinks that we don't realize that he doesn't really mean that. It's kind of a sort of, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to criticize, to criticize the commentators as yeah, bless a hard job, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, I thought Mel was great in the channel, but Strider not as good. Ben, what well, your thoughts on the webcast? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Mel on the channel is uh, a good thing. Mel anywhere is a good thing in my books. I still like Strider. I like the fact that he's he's done his time out there. So there's very few, you know, guys sitting that channel and and know the inside out. Yeah, he didn't mention he didn't mention his wave much, though, did he this winter? The one wave he didn't he didn't bring it up many times. I also, I could kind of do without watching all night the crosses to the 
surfer's girlfriend in question on the beach. I just think, you know, they just keep paying to utilize misses or whoever's misses. I'm like, oh, we just don't need to look. I know they do it in the tennis, and I know they're usually attractive women that are well invested in their partner's uh, sport. I just think it's like, if I see this girl one more time, there's no relevance to me. That was that was a bit of a bugbear. I've got I've got a point to pick up on there, Ben. I want to talk about the t-shirts. I really, really, I really want to talk about what? this. Well, the Camp Medina t-shirts and then the sort of Italo t-shirts. Just in general, it's become a thing, whether it's like in Portugal and someone might clinch a title. There's some, there's merch, isn't there? Which is mainly t-shirt and a hat, possibly some flags. I mean, first of all, Camp Medina, when they went, yeah, I think they, I think it was Kipes. They crossed the Kipes, like, yeah, I'm here with um, with Camp Medina, and they're all just sitting there, like, really bored. I think it, I think it was his aunt. I don't think it was his mum. His aunt was holding a flag, and doing the slowest figure eight wavy you could ever do, so that the material of the flag never got off the sort of pole, the wooden stick. But it was limp, even though it was moving through the air. It was just going so slow. She was doing like the most reluctant flag wave. They all look bored out of their fucking minds, and. They've all got the t-shirts on. It looks really small time to me. Like there's just sort of, I don't know, like nine people are wearing like a certain sort of slightly different color orange tee with like some crap pun on it, like to do with their name and like winning or like mictory or whatever it might be. I just, it really reminds me of like, you know, in an office, if there's like a sort of, maybe it's a sort of an older woman in account, maybe it's like Sue from accounts and she's had a health scare or whatever. And then she sort of, you know, she, maybe she hasn't done PE since, or any sports since PE at school in 1972. And then she, you know, she works on her self-esteem and starts going running. It's brilliant. Everyone sponsors. She raises loads of money for the, the hospital. It's awesome. And everyone, everyone sort of shows up on the finish line in like t-shirts with like Sue on it. And you're like, yes, that's awesome. I don't know if we need that for sort of multi-millionaires at the sort of pipe masters. That's just, it just strikes me as really sort of small time and quite weird. Your thoughts on the tees? <laughs> yeah, they're always the same. They're always shit outs, aren't they? I think uh, I think it was the Derek Ho, and we're going to revisit some some classic '90s Hawaiian soon. I think when Derek Ho won, weirdly won that sort of wild title in '93. I think that's when they emerged because no one had anything ready, and I think Sunny and a few of the boys. There used to be that guy that did like airbrush. You could airbrush a slogan or anything you want and they'd print it on a tee straight away. And I think they went and got a load of them done and all the Hawaiians had like Derek Ho, first Hawaiian world champ in this kind of airbrushed writing. I think that was the birth of the tee. That was a, that was a different time, that was 93. So that was cool, that was sort of done on the spot. I'm, I mean, I'm all for that, uh, even though the font was, was a bit weird. Um, but yeah, just I think that's, I think it's weird. You think in most sports on the final day, on the big showdown, the fans, like the paying public are gonna be the ones decked out in the kind of merchandise, not the sort of relatives and the sort of, I don't know, the sort of brand executives. It looks really odd. Like, just what, me. Where do these people come from? Like, Italo's like, all of a sudden got like this big, with those shitty shirts. I'm like, who, like, who are they? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, Gabe's always had his little, he's got about eight sisters and brothers and hangers on. I always know he's had a bit of a crew, but suddenly Italo just had these people just turn up. Uh, where, 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 do you, is it a fan club? I mean, do you sign up? How does it work? Well, we're going to we're going to come on to the North Shore crowds or the Pipe Masters crowds or lack of a little bit later. I've got a few points to say on that, but let's just sum up the season. So, have I got this right? Italo World Champ, uh, the qualifiers for the USA is Kolohe, brother Andino, and John John Florence. Yes. So Slater, no Olympics. I think Slater 
sort of said yesterday he's going to do the tour next year. No major shock there. Um, Triple Crown. Later. Yeah, 21 years after he won his first one. Okay, there we go. So Slater wins Triple Crown. Anything else get decided? Oh, and uh, what's his name? Morgan Sibilic got in, right? Yeah, he was always going to get in, but yeah, that's official. Um, so he's in Perez and Flores in the Olympics for France. Duru out. Duru out, yeah. Um, yeah, our mate Stu Kennedy misses out by one place on... Oh, sucked Dean. <laughs> sucked Dean. And now there's the wild card to be um, allocated as well. Uh, and then there's three guys going for that. So there's Adriana D'Souza, uh, Mikey Wright, and Leo. Um, so they reckon that all three surfers injure themselves in competition. So that's one of the criteria. Uh, another one is past achievement. So you think that Adriana with the world world title he might get it and then that's going to leave Leo and Mikey to fight it out for the wild card Paul who would you prefer in for next year uh, well obviously Leo from a kind of no I'd actually mean that uh, probably, <laughs> probably Mikey um, but te- technically Leo but actually Mikey um, yes, weird. As a world champion, you can't get the event wild card into any event. You would have thought if you've won a wild card, you just get the event wild card as opposed to a tour one for the year. Um, okay, well that's yeah, that's that's the seat. Oh, a couple of other things. Sorry, Dorian in the booth, Ben. Dorian, Shane, back. Dorian in the booth. What up? This is Shane Dorian. Did you ask it? Did he ask you for any tips? Any? How did that go down? Did you chat about that? Did you give him any pointers? Did you send him any DMs? Yeah. Yeah, he he was more, you know, like he he's a funny guy, and he was just asking. He was worried about being too funny. He wanted to tone it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He said how to play it straight. And I just said, look, mate, just just you know, keep keep it keep it loose, keep it fun, but don't go, you know, don't go funny guy. Stick and to your natural I, game. Yeah, and I think he absolutely nailed it. Um, yeah, I mean, he's great in the booth, he's great in the land, he's a, he was a super coach, he coached his lady, didn't he? So, um, there's nothing that, that man can't do in my eyes. Um, but yeah, just else, also on the webcast, I thought they did, a, overall did a brilliant job and in a weirdly quite a tough day because it has to be epic because it's the world title and it's like, there's a lot of stake, but it's also a bit like, meh. Like surf-wise, there were some nice moments, some flaring takeoffs, but you know it was a, a little bit sort of just overhead kind of pipe. And I thought they did a good job. Particularly, there was about an hour where no one said any score. I mean, we we've said scores. I think in an, an individual heat, we said more scores than they basically did all day. They're like no one just said any scores or situations because they're all quite a lot of twos and threes, weren't they? And sort of ones as kind of keepers after 45 minutes surfing. Um, but yeah. Great work to them. I think it's Chris Smith, our mates, Chris Smith in the booth producing or in the in the broadcast truck. Good job, and great, great broadcast. Well done, Shane. Look forward to him. Look forward to seeing him in uh, in Tenerife at the fifteen hundred in in February. It's not okay, Monday. Well, our regular part of the show, uh, good bad. Let's stick him through Hawaii, Hawaii, and check out some Hawaii good bads. First of all, Ben, when it comes to the North Shore, the mecca of the sport, the Seven Mile Miracle, Haleiwa to, I guess, Turtle Bay, technically it goes, but whatever. 
why I'm here to VLAND if you want to hone in. What have you got about the North Shore that's... No. that's good. I, you know what I love in Hawaii? And it's, you get out and you have that early surf if you're on tour. Because sort of over there you're usually pumped and you surf and you're up there and you get that early surf in. If you've done, if, you, if you're on tour, say you get one down there at Jocko's or a backyard sunset, you think you're loading it and then you go down to that little Starbucks down there next to Foodland and that big, you know, those kind of massive cups of coffee which originally kind of overface you but then when you actually get that big cup in and you're sitting there, you've kind of surfed out, you're in the energy zone, and then, like, just legends are sort of going up, and um, the, the, the coffee people are asking their name, and, the you know, the person might go, oh, uh, Ryan Callahan, or, you know, anyone. Like, they, they still ask their names at the counter, some of the legends of sport, and I think just having that big, fat injection of caffeine after an incredible sort of first light surf, and you're surrounded the sort of epicenter of surfing, I always used to get bit of a lob on about that sort of stuff paul love that absolutely love it that is great although i will just maybe just pick you up i think in a starbucks situation it's just first name so i'm pretty sure no the calendar uh, yeah uh, ryan ryan callanahan yeah exactly. always says his second name no, no two l's two l's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. number nine uh, world number 12 at the moment the yeah. real real stickler for the for the last name paul mm-hmm have you got anything that is? Yeah, I, I'm just going to go keep it simple and it's logistics. It's like logistically the easiest surf trip you can ever do. I think it's the only kind of legit place, apart from a mental eye boat trip, where you don't, don't need a car, like really at all. Particularly if you kind of know someone that's got one that you want to see like maybe twice a week. But you can do the whole thing by bike or even better, just, you know, walking. But bike's perfect, particularly if you're staying on the, the beach side of the, the, of the road. The spots are so easy to check. You know, it's generally kind of the one of the sort of bummers about surf trips is you sort of is those kind of 11 minute drives between spots. So you just kind of eat up all your time getting in and out of the car. None of that in Hawaii. It's just so easy. And like, it's that place where you can genuinely have like five surfs a day. Like you mentioned, you get up, you do the first one, come back in, have your breakfast, then another surf, one about lunchtime, sort of sneak two more in in the afternoon, depending on the little, you get those little holes in the crowd and you're just kind of checking it all day. And yeah, just, it's easy to jump in for a quick surf. None of the pad outs are particularly long, are they? Even like some of the bigger ways, even sunset, which looks like a mission, you just punch through and then the, the river basically just take you out there and like, you know, no time. So they're all, um, they're all really accessible and it's just, I think logistically, it's just like a real easy surf. You can you can kind of see why surf culture really is kind of grown up around that place. It's just like physically, it's just the perfect, beautiful place for it. Ben, what else have you got that's... Just, well, it's a bit on that kind of vibe of what the whole vibe of, of, of the North Shore is. I don't know if you've ever been up to the... Um... Oh, I'm gonna get this pronounced wrong. The old sugar mill, just up behind Haleiwa there. Wailua, yeah. Real day bizarre. Yep. I've been out there, and you go out there, and it's just this old, well, a converted old sugar mill. There's these little ramshackle kind of um, sort of sheds, basically. And then in those sheds are some of the world's but like biggest shapers in the world, like John Carper, um, you know, like Eric, 
Arakawa's up there. I think Pozel's even there. And you go in there, it's just it's like you used to go when you're about 18 and ordering a board off a guy at the local sort of backyard shed down in um down at Redhead there. So some of these, you know, and the best servers turn up, they're piling like get 15 boards whacked in the back of their massive, massive trucks. But it's still that just classic like real surfboard shapers doing an old school. You know, we've been to some of those new factories, aren't they, in Portugal or even in France. They're just like these massive gleaming modern sort of factories, aren't they? They're state of the art almost. But down there in the old sugar mill, just nestled behind the hills of the Haliva. It's just an just a lovely old school um, craftsman turning out some of the world's best boards. Yeah, my my other good it's kind of similar. Um, it's to do with like all the boards, but just the sort of legends in general. And again, it's like logistically simple going for a surf, but it's also in terms of imagine like all of the icons from your whatever it is you're into. Imagine you know a good sort of sixty odd years of the kind of the absolute best of the best are all sort of staying for a few months in like this little kind of village and you're going to bump into them every day. It's like if you're into football, it's like sort of Maradona and Pele, Cruyff and sort of Eusebio and Messi and like everyone is all kind of at this little kind of quite small town. And like you're going to you're going to always see them. And if you want to if you want to get like a new a new ball, it's going to be made by like, I don't know, Mr. Mr. Mitre, <laughs> like some kind of like it's just like there's so much. It depends how much you're into it, but it feels like that's when you get the payoff for sort of geeking out on surfing all those wasted years, because you could easily just drive, walk down the street or whatever, and not really notice, or you could go, oh, that's like Derek Donauer, or you know, you go to you go for, get some eggs in Haliva before you turn whole food plant based vegan. You know, Cafe Haliva, it's like the Bonza, you know. Campbell Brothers, Bonza Front. And there's like little just legends in there and it's so quite sort of sleepy and quite rootsy and sort of small. There's that little health food joint opposite. And yeah, like you just kind of go in there to get your avocado on toast or whatever. And there's some sort of core lord from the seventies, just some absolute ledge you took queuing up behind them. And it just feels like that, it feels quite cozy and intimate. Think about that Europe, particularly a lot of places we're used to with, it's either like packed in summer and like like dead in winter, as in like closed. But it's never really quiet and open, and like that's what feels feels a little bit like that. And you kind of yeah, just getting your coffee or like you said or whatever it is you do, seeing all, all the legends and like yeah, get ordering a board from Bushman or you know Al Chapman, Jack Reeves, Glass Jobs, like Arakawa, Rawson, Brewer, like Pizer, whatever you know. It's kind of like a, like a living sort of museum. Almost of the sport, the sort of, it's like the fertile spore of surfing. Ben, what have you got that's. Non Brazilians uh, saying stoked. You know, I know Billabong did a bit of a um, publicity campaign. Joe Turpel must have said it about 30 times yesterday on the, on the broadcast. I was literally, if I was going to hear that, I've got a lot of time for Joe. Love the man. Uh, it gets a bit much over time, but when he kept saying stoke it over and over, um, oh, just for some reason, Paul, for some reason, it just really made me fucking annoyed, really <laughs> angry. Paul, yep. What do you got? 
Uh, I thought the crowds, um, particularly at the pipe, but all the events are pathetic. Really, really tiny. I mean, if you take last night, it's the final day of the final event of the season at the most sort of hallowed, legendary spot on earth with you know some of the greatest, well, the, the greatest, with a couple of exceptions, of all time. It's St. Andrews, it's Augusta, it's the Marikan Art, it's Wembley, it's the Keeper of the Flame, it's the Source. It's and all, it's, and it's free. And well, come on, sir. And there's like hardly any people there. I mean, they'd always lie about the crowds, you know, at the events, standard. But seriously, like Santa or Père Père Noël, as he's called here in in France. I have chosen to send you as an advance party to hell with a considerable French number that will soon be needing to find space there. He's going to come into Capriton Fish Market later today on the lifeboat. The lifeboat will bring him in. There's going to be more people that I've been to the last three years, more people watching Santa come in on the lifeboat at Capriton, which is a tiny little sort of kind of dead-end place in the middle of nowhere. There's going to be more people there than at the Pipe Masters final. I just don't understand how more people don't go along. Hawaii's like... Like, surfing is kind of like part of the identity. What percent of the population surf or know about surfing? A hundred? No, but like, you know, a lot of people. I just think like, where are they all? How many tourists are there on Oahu on any given day? Like, I don't know, several thousand. Like, how many houses are there on the North Shore? If you just think of all, just the houses between Waimea and Turtle Bay, there's a few, th several thousand dwellings. Like, what are they all doing if they're not watching the party? You're just at home going, oh, nah. Like, it's so weird that there's no one there. Think about the Turtle Bay Hotel. How many rooms are in the Turtle Bay Hotel, Ben? And the apartments they got now. Like, and you mentioned, it's free. Like, you're on holiday, you waddle down. You're from, like, Lake Michigan or whatever. You waddle down to reception and go, gee, is there a hula show? And they go, oh, there's the Pipe Masters on. It's uh, the best surfers in the world. They're going to decide the world title today. Kelly Slater, John Florence, people you heard of at the most dangerous, mythical spot on the planet. Oh, and it's four miles away and it's free. Like, no, why doesn't anyone go? It's so weird. I mean, Bromley FC, right, who I didn't know had a team that in the conference, they get 3,000 in for a home match. This is non-professional football in the fifth tier in England. They're not even in the top 5,000 global football teams. They get 3,000 in every week. Like, Pipe Masters gets, what, 1,000 people in? It's just like there's no one on the beach. It's really weird. Well, part of the problem, obviously, is that they don't make the call till 8 o'clock that morning. So you don't even know what's going to be on. Unlike Bromley FC, you know in advance when the, when the match is on. <laughs> Come on, Monday. Don't make excuses. No, I know what you mean. How do people? more sand than I've ever seen. So there's plenty of room to pack people on. There's it's just, there's just no one there. Like that looks to me like just friends and family of the surfers. Like there's no actual like, and it's gratis, man. It's free. Okay, well that's the good bads wrapped up. I mean, obviously a lot more goods than bads, Mundy. Um, we've we've had a few visits there down down the years, even a few a few anecdotes to share, a few little highlights and lowlights. Probably the best way of describing places through personal experience. Ben, tell us about your biggest wave 
on the North Shore. Biggest wave I've ever seen uh, was out at Queena Point. Um, one massive day, and I had the misfortune of hanging out with Ant-Man Patterson. Uh, well, we won the Eddie Cow. Just big wave free, and I was with him, and he's like, oh, "There's this way everywhere was too big and too washed out." Even my me was like maxing, and I don't know why I was with him. And I th- he said, oh, "I'd be protecting this little point." And we got there. He sort of looked at it from afar, so we were out there, and I was already shitting myself. And he handed me an eight six, and I, I fucking, I went, I picked it up, and I almost fainted just with the see <laughs> of what was about to happen. Like I was so unprepared. And I just kind of had to go along with it. I didn't have the balls. Like the brave thing there was to say, "Hey, man, you're on your own, mate." Like, fuck. I'm just... But no, I I did the unballsy thing and paddled out and stayed so wide. You know, the whole time I was just thinking about going in, like how to get in, how to get in. And he, I just lost him. He just went out, and I saw these some of the biggest waves. I got one on the head, and then I just literally like got wide and scraped into a, this wave as fat as you like, but it was massive. And just rode it all the way and went straight away to the car. I had to wait for the car for about three hours. Just <laughs> hit in the back of the ute, just sort of cursing my, my cowardice. But yeah, it was a big wave. So yeah, that, I remember that. And my other probably biggest wave I got at sunset, and I'll never forget it because it was a, a solid one way out the back, a paddle way out the back, and I had a big board. And as I came through the section, late beach, he just fucking torched me. We're going to get into best drop ins. Okay, I'll, I'll say that one. Yeah, my, my, my big wave is sort of a, probably kind of a relative turf by big. But it's, you know, it's all about personal experience. The bay kind of fired up a bit in the day and just sort of just about started to break. So I'd never wanted to surf it, but situations arose. And I was with Gabe Davies and his like, whatever, let's go again. Let's go surf Waimea. So, so we went out Waimea and got a couple of waves. Biggest waves ever. Quite scared, didn't die. Uh, Eric Ribier was out there. Uh, this was like, I think it's 2000 foot. It's a year he was on tour. And I just started at Surf Europe, so I kind of, I'd literally like just met him, and he was like, ah, and he's like, ah, Wyomir Paul, and then everywhere I saw him for about the next five years, he called, I was called <laughs> Wyomir Paul. It was kind of like a thing, which, you know, I, I, I don't mind admitting I didn't mind being Wyomir Paul. Um, so it's just a really. Never, never, it was ironic, obviously. Never has a nickname been more poorly deserved. No, he, he well. Correct, but he was he was like genuinely he was like really surprised to sort of see me out there as as was I, and he doesn't call me it anymore actually. But it, it lasted a good five years. Um, so yeah, that's that's my probably my biggest wave along with one one notable session at sunset that I might come in later under another category. That's kind of also down an embarrassing moment. How about your best your best burns? Who's dropped in on you? Talk us through some of the celebrities or otherwise that have shown you their bum doing a bum turn. That day at sunset, and I'd waited out the back for a while, and I was shit myself. And I got in position, and I got got a you know a bigger one, and um, got through the bottom end turn. I was so happy about just to be alive. Then I looked up, and just as I did that, I saw the unmistakable um, derriere of uh, Lane Beachley. Bottom man, bottom man turning like right in front of me and fighting me, and she just screamed off down the line, and um, yeah, and then I just got mowed down by the phone, and that was that. And she she paddled back out and just literally just laughed in my face because at that time she was kind of real, her and Ken were kind of ruling like sunset, and uh, I'd met her a couple of times before through work, and uh, yeah, she just basically showed me who was boss. So um, yeah, Lane, that was it. That was a good one. I've also had uh, I've been hobgooded. Not by one, but by two. Uh, I had Hopgood's pattern dropping on me at Jocko's one time. 
What you got? Uh, so, Shay Lopez has, ever since this moment, been one of my least favourite surfers of all time. I wasn't, I didn't that keen on him beforehand, but I think he dropped it to me maybe sort of six to ten times once at a sort of two foot day at VLAN when there's kind of no one, no one else out. Um, it, it was literally me and him, and he just either paddled around me or just dropped in, like basically every wave that came through, um, which I wasn't that stoked on. Um, then a more recent one. Oh, there's not loads actually. Do you, do you there's a guy, a sort of a, a lo, I think he's like Andy and Bruce's like cousin called JD Irons. Do you remember him? Yeah, I know. Road yeah. for Volcom. He did a really good one on me at Rocky Point. I was surfing the left and he this wave came and I stood up and he like looked he just fully like looked at me for ages, kinda of almost like looked me up and down. And I could see the sort of the sort of contempt of this sort of like kook. Just sort of howly and like, like really kind of just, yeah, it was like a proper sort of fade, like kind of sort of fuck you, which I thought fair enough, you know, obviously it's, I just sort of straightened out and silence and I might have even just gone in on that occasion. Um, but the real memorable one was I, I quite saw that sunset, Mike Ho, Uncle Mike, he didn't really drop in as such, I'm not sure if I was making it around, but there's like a big West Bowl came and he was really wide and I was actually stoked because I got to watch. Michael Ho take a sort of late drop without kind of wide, sort of quite elastic sort of stance into like a sick West Bowl and he pulled in kind of a little high line, pulled up high line. I was, I was going really fast, kind of by the way, I was watching him. That was actually pretty rad. It's probably like the best drop in you could get where I was like kind of follow cam. Um, so that was, I was actually stoked. I felt like me and I, Mike had sort of shared a surfing experience, which I don't know if he, if he felt that as much, but I, you know. I definitely did. Tell us about your most embarrassing North Shore moment or then moments. <laughs> I've got one. I think it was my first ever surf at sunset. And I was, um, got a wave and it, was, it wasn't a big wave. It's like, you know, six to eight foot kind of wave. And I, I got around the corner and then I sort of, you know, it sort of always fats out a bit. And I was doing that bit. And there was sort of people paddling back out. I can sort of see them. But then I just sort of decided to, like, do a bit of a fade. Like, I was being a bit of a dick. I thought I'd just sort of fade a bit and go near the foam. And obviously, if you've ever, like, touched that sunset foam, it's just, just buckled you off. Like, I shouldn't have been anywhere near it. And so instead of, like, right now, I sort of faded. Because I faded, I got nearer the person. And then because I hit the foam ball, I hit the foam, I just went over directly and then it got tangled and I came up. And it was um, Mike Parsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, like a legendary big wave rider. Oh, so, oh, sorry. So, sorry, mate. He was just going, well, you could see he wasn't even, he wasn't angry. He was, he was just confused about the whole thing of why I'd done it, how I'd done it. And, um, yeah, I sort of had to just untangle ourselves and just apologise profusely. And, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, the other time was when we got, um, we were staying at the North Shore house, uh, got a house for, for, for tracks. It was me and Ronnie Blake, Blakey, actually. And we're really excited. It's our first trip ever to Hawaii, and we rushed into the um, house, and we we heard that um, Tommy Carroll was staying, like we were sharing a house with him. We knew that, so we rushed in to see if he was there, and he wasn't. And then um, he, we were rushed around; he wasn't there. We're like, and I heard this, oh, Monday, Monday. It was Ronnie's. Monday, come and check this out. You won't believe Tommy Carroll. You won't believe what he's left us. And I was like, rushed in. <laughs> he was in the bathroom, and Tommy done shit. We hadn't flushed it down. The toilet, and um, I was, he was he, Ronnie was like, "It's Tommy's nuggets, <laughs> Tommy's nuggets," and we were laughing. And then um, that night, 
Tom came around. He said, "Oh, boys, oh, you got the keys." He, he said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah, yeah." Um, I said, "Yeah, mate. We came in before." And he goes, "Oh, okay, good. Yeah." I, I actually popped in and just dropped my stuff off, and I was like to him, "You dropped more than your stuff off, Tommy. You didn't even flush the dunny." And I, and I thought to break the ice a bit, and he just sort of looked at me. It's like I said, I crossed the line really early in our relationship. <laughs> didn't laugh. <laughs> me and Ronnie, Ronnie looked at me, just go. And then we sort of just embarrassed, he just walked off. I've got a couple, but my kind of main one uh, would be I have um, your, yeah, you're like this. I, was, I went, I did a sort of this trip to why I was meeting up with three people that you know as well, um, namely Andrew King, Matthew Griggs, and Karen Perot. They were kind of traveling together, and I sort of arranged it so that my I would get in the same day as Kiggy. Um, and we'd hang out, we're going to get a place together. Griggs was staying somewhere else. Kiki, uh, Kieran was sponsored by Town and Country, so he, I think he was staying anyway. We we're kind of nearby, but it was me and Kingy sharing a place. Um, incidentally, he got the date of his flight wrong. Uh, he told me the wrong date. I flew in that day, waited for his entire plane from Sydney to come. Do you know how sort of heart wrenching that is when the last person, like the whole jumbo jet from Sydney, and you're waiting and waiting? This is pre mobile phones. And, and I was like, is anyone else coming? And they're like, no, I don't think so. And he wasn't there. And I had to go and hire a car, drove to the North Shore, slept in the car, went surfing the next day, got the car broken into, got everything stolen, including my passport. All of my, all I had was my board shorts and, the, and my 6.6 Nev. A terrible board. <laughs> a terrible board, by the way. That's literally all I had. Everything else got stolen. It was like his fault. And when he got, he rocked up at the airport the next day and I, I went back to meet the flight. And he goes... Where's your stuff, Evans? Like, as if I, I was being weird by not having any stuff. I just had a paper bag with, like, one T-shirt in that I got from the second-hand store. Anyway, so I'm digressing a bit. It was on that trip, and me and Kingy were staying at Sunset Point. They were doing the events. And one day, surf was really big, and Tony Ray came by with someone else who I... I fucking forgot who it was. It was two of them, like, both kind of big wave lords. And they were like, Kingy... Let's go, it's fucking, it's massive, sunset's huge. And I was like, what, what? Like, huh? And anyway, it was sort of all on, a flurry of kind of waxing up boards. And I sort of looked, I looked at the Nev 6.6 and kind of looked at the sort of, the sort of twinkling sort of T-ray sort of eyes. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I think it's gonna sit this one out actually. Like I, I, I might just see how you go kind of thing. And Kingy was just like so disgusted at me for the whole trip. Every day, the first, every day he woke up, the first thing he said to everybody goes, I can't believe I'm staying in Hawaii with a pee hat. Like, he said that to me every day, first thing and last thing. He like, he did nothing to mask his contempt the entire trip. It was, hot. It was a terrible trip. Um, it was a fucking nightmare. There was another incident actually where we were surfing backyards and I got a wave. And it was kind of did a bottom turn. He was like in the channel, and I, I guess I must have sort of jumped off. And he was just like so disgusted. He's like, all you had to do is do a bottom turn. Just like he was just so angry at me that instead of doing a bottom turn, I jumped off. Hating it was his first ever trip to Hawaii, and I ruined it. And he, he reminded me every. Every hour of every day. So I've sort of got another another embarrassing moment I wasn't directly involved in, but I sort of can't really not tell the tale. So this was the other big session, um, is that same same winter, and it was a real big sunset. This time I, I was out there. This was sort of 
later in my progression and the sport from the Kingy refusal. And we're out at sunset. It was it was really, really kind of as big as it gets, like 12 foot Hawaiian, like kind of it, it, that night it was washing, washing through, like closing out. It was like it went from it was huge. Anyway, there's this guy called John McCarthy. who was kind of in our group a little bit. Don't know if you know him. He's an Irish guy, like who, one of the first guys to surf Eileen's, like total charger. Anyway, Ken Bradshaw, Ken, with his massive head and massive sort of chest and sort of chin, took off on a massive wave, like way outside. You know, you get those ones like break really far out and over, which is kind of why you can kind of even still sit in the lineup. You feel like you're quite a long way from some of the danger. Um, He got this massive wave and dropped down it. And John Mack, who's the charger, admittedly, the way kind of got a bit steeper, like Ken kind of took off behind the peak. John Mack, like, just literally just swung without looking and went and like, just totally burnt him. Like, but it was such a big wave, it took them ages to get down it. You know, like the sunset, you can be dropping in for like sort of 20 seconds. He's kind of still dropping in. It's the way it kind of moves. So they get to the bottom of the wave and like, everyone's watching there's like a crunch of rails first of all like john mack john mack's rail just lit john mack borrowed a board from the i think chris malloy there's like an irish connection this like big gun like pretty sick board really bright really white dude crunched into ken's like kb but ken bradshaw board with the classic red and orange bradshaw crunch and then he kind of rugby t- like as they fell, like John Mack, like rugby tackled Ken, like both his arms somehow wrapped around Ken's sort of thighs. His kind of head was in his crotch, and this sort of fifteen foot wave just ex- fucking exploded them. So they come up miles there, like one of mates. We were just like fucking cow. <laughs> it's awkward. And they came up, and Bradshaw was obviously like flaming. He was like angry, and he's like, and John Mack, like kind of didn't he was like really confused and he's like oh oh ken he like called him by the day he's like oh ken did i did i drop in on you did i ken and <laughs> and bradshaw's getting like more angry and rather than just go oh fuck sorry i don't know how he didn't know he like you rugby tackled him, you must know where he was and where you were and he's like oh did did you did you drop in on me then or did i drop in on you and like, Ken Bradshaw's like, man, if you don't fucking admit right now that you just burn me. And we just, it was like the worst sort of situation ever. And um, yeah, I, I obviously spent the rest of the trip sort of pretending not to know this really white sort of Irish dude. He's a great guy and total charger. But yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, but also really, really funny. <laughs> um, classic, classic um, John Mack on, on Kenny B. But if you're gonna drop in on someone, it's probably Kenny B, because he is from Texas. The time you felt like a legend of the North Shore, the time you felt like a lord of Hawaii. When did you feel like um, a Hawaiian surf legend, Ben? Well, I had a few moments where I was lucky enough to stay, be hanging out at the Red Bull house, and I was sort of making cups of tea for Andy Irons and Mick Fanning and Bruce kind of trying to be like invisible but also helpful at the same time that was my kind of approach in those situations every now and again i'd make a, I'd make a cup of tea and then i'd say you don't want a cup of tea and they go yeah and i deliver a cup of tea and i felt like i was in the middle of something there how did them um, how did andy take his tea just white like builders yeah strong white a lot of milk two sugars yeah classic andy classic andy um 
usually about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I also had one other moment where back to that Jocko is my favourite wave and I paddle out just on dark. I knew it was going to be good. I'd surf the night before and it was kind of the same. And um, I got down there super early and I was like out, just dark almost. And I paddled out, there was no one out. And um, just the sun came up, it was just, you know, lovely six foot offshore, all that sort of business. Came and got a wave and it was one of those ones that Jocko's a bit of a step and the rip bowl and got a barrel and as I sort of poked out the barrel I saw two guys sort of paddling out the next two guys and it was um, Luke Egan and Barton Lynch and um, I sort of sailed through the barrel and sort of car past them and then when I paddled back out it was just us three out there on, on our own um, they didn't talk to me of course but uh, for that little brief sort of moment before the, the sun came out and the rest of the crowds came in and I was relegated back to my normal spot I felt like a Felt like I was doing something right, Paul. Did, ba- did Barton say, "Wow, you you look like a sort of a hybrid between me and Pam Burridge"? Did he <laughs> did he say that when you paddled out? Well, he actually thought he said, "He well, yelled out, Pam." <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, no, it's not Pam." Did he say, "Is your nickname Barton Burridge?" <laughs> no, he didn't at the time. No, unfortunately. As I said, he didn't talk to me, Paul. Yeah. Why? Sorry, I keep forgetting. Why me, Paul? Yeah. Thanks. What he got? Bit of respect, please. There was the time when it was dead flat, and I swam from Cammies all the way to Waimea. So people do know the North Shore, that's actually quite a fucking long way. Um, but it's kind of with the current, it was flat. I did have swim fins on, but still that is a long swim, a re- really long swim and quite scary when you get past Shark's Cove. And it's actually quite a long way back into the beach at Waimea. But anyway, I did the swim. Um, when I got to Waimea, I was had no way of getting back other than walking. So I just walked back on my boardies with my swim fans and just felt like an absolute legend of the North Shore. And when, when I look back now at that time, I think that sort of afternoon, it was probably about 3.30 p.m. December 2010. That was probably like peak Evans. Like that was, that was like my zenith. That was like my, that really was probably, just in terms of sort of fitness and kind of youthfulness and like, you know, my gut, like everything. That was, that really was like, the kind of high water mark, I'd probably say that that was like the continental divide. Like everything since then has been, um, you know, the, the other side of the slope, so all to speak. The water, all the water's been draining west ever since. <laughs> Beyond the reef. Um, how how can people who've enjoyed the podcast, Ben? What, what what kind of thing can they do? Anywhere you get your audio on demand, just type in it's not the link. It'll come up. Subscribe so it's always on your phone. You know when you get the new updates, the new uh, regular episodes, and then of course when you listen to them, and if you like them, just like them. That's going to wrap it up for the Hawaii special. Um, I'm Paul Evans saying Happy Christmas, a very Happy New Year. Best of health, and above all, enjoy yourselves. It's later than you think. And he's Ben Mundy saying... Happy Christmas, see you in 2020, and get a dog up his. It's not-